Thanks for joining us today. We have David Weissman today joining us from uh, Chicago, although it's not much warmer down here than it probably <laughs> is in Chicago, I don't think. And uh, David's been on a bunch of our calls before too and uh, runs up most of our retail acquisitions for our finding stuff, both retail and government side. Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about the government stuff today. So welcome down to Atlanta. Thanks for being here for a couple of days. Thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure to be here with you. I get down here as much as I can. My wife's pretty sure I'm just getting away from my kids, but <laughs> although we're having a good time down here. We're making well, you have deals. quite a Why few, not? so, you know, sneaking away every, every now and again is, uh, sometimes makes it easier. It's always good to get down here and see you guys. So, I don't get to but do you're, it enough. You're probably down here at least once a month. Yeah, I mean, I really make an effort to be, you know, we're yeah. in a face-to-face business. And uh, I go where the deals are. So we're making deals. We're getting stuff done. And that's Atlanta. And you've done some other road trips, too, where you're driving through all of our uh, territory to try and dig things up and find (laughs) what we can. That's our calling card. We dig things up that other people can't find. And that's how we get deals and provide returns to our investors. So we're willing to do what it takes. Cool. Well, thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. We want to talk a little bit. You know, we've had some interesting conversations on the net lease component as a whole, but really within net lease, you've got the two aspects of the, the one being retail type stuff and the other uh, being the government tenants. And government, it could mean a couple different things, but it was one of the first deals we bought that was TVTC up in Chattanooga. Yeah. And that had the state of Tennessee in there. And that was a big 50,000 plus floor plate that the state has a 10 year lease on and they've been operating out of. So, from that one, we were learning about how that works. We probably spent about a year and a half working on that one and then started looking at some other government assets. So why don't you want to take us kind of through like what the different types of government stuff that you're seeing that we're actually out there and is on the market right now? Yeah, I have to thank TVTC. I have to thank Nathan for that one because if he hadn't convinced everybody to do government, which we kind of fell into by accident, as we've talked about before, um, I wouldn't have my own asset classes to deal with. <laughs> yeah. So it's really... Uh, a nice situation that we kind of found that sweet spot within yeah. government. Um, government's unique. I mean, it has aspects of the retail stuff that we do because you're essentially paying for a lease. You're paying for the guarantee, but you can't deal with it like you do as Axby's and Applebee's simply because it's an office building. There's things you have to fix. You can't just say, hey, listen, we're going to throw up a thousand social security offices, not that we like social security, and just say, oh, they'll run themselves, they'll pay us rent, and we could just collect our checks. It'd be nice if they would, but the reality is that it's not that simple. Um, But, you know, we see a lot of similarities between the retail and the government. Again, given that you're paying for the lease, you're paying for the guarantee, there's an added value that people will put on it because you have the security of whether it's a state federal government, and you know you're going to get your check every month. You're not going to have to go knocking on the door of the federal government and say, hey, do you have money to pay me? So no matter how strong of a guarantee you get in the net lease space, you know, Applebee's is hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in cash on hand. We're not concerned they're going to pay us, but it's incomparable to a government that can just print their own money. So (laughs) it's really, really, you know, what's the most desirable... Uh, thing we see in the retail world, Chick-fil-A. I mean, they traded three and a half caps even today. Everyone's just handing them money. No one's ever worried they're going to pay them. Yeah. By the way, they're a private company. No one knows if they have any money. They've just convinced everybody they have money. So, you know, Starbucks, I mean, any big company you want to say, 
nothing compares to a government. So, you know, it's really exciting that we can get these properties with the security of those leases, but also get them actually at a discount to where retail properties yeah. trade, which is counterintuitive if you think about it. Because if I said to you, what do you want, a 10-year lease Applebee's or a 10-year lease State of Georgia, which one do you want? At the end of the day, you're going to say, I know the state's going to pay me no matter how much confidence I have in Applebee's, but the Applebee's will trade in our range, you know, probably these days about a 7 to 8% cap rate, depending on what we're going to do with the lease. Um, a government lease might trade at an 8 cap, might trade at a 9 cap, simply because people aren't aware of them. They don't know how to dig them up. There's not an established market. The people from CoStar and Crexy have asked me a few times, do I think we should recommend that you can do a government lease search? And I'm like, no, do not do that. <laughs> you don't want more information. I don't, you think I want somebody to be able to just click government and take something? Yeah. I mean, so that's the value we are able to find by discovering those leases that are not being actively marketed because there's no active market for them. I shouldn't say there's no active market. There's no clear oh, channel for them specific. to be marketed. Yeah, no, but these government leases, I mean, this, this is a lot of different types. So you have state and local, yeah. and you have federal. And then even within federal, you know, some of the stuff we have are, are VA clinics, so it's like a little bit medical. I mean, yeah. they're, they're performing medical services within them, but it's still government, government backed. Then you have everything, um, you know, we have a state insurance board, which is a state government. Yeah. We have all sorts of the different divisions within the federal government that can, that can sign leases. And a lot of it's done under GSA, though, where yeah. GSA is going out and signing those leases for them. Yeah, and our big thing is, again, to me, it's really a hybrid between the retail world versus the medical commercial office world, where you have to know the business inside out. You have to understand how the government operates. You have to understand what they're looking for. You're almost looking at it from the way we would evaluate a brand, which is we know we want things that are mission critical. We talk about a lot where some sectors of government, you know, they have social security center call centers that they can move to anywhere because a bunch of people sitting in an office and all they need are phone lines all the way to this place that... That's, no, that's no different than any other business. Oh, that's, right? that's a regular I mean, office. I mean, it's harder for them to move because they're the government. They have longer processes, but essentially they don't need your place relative to anybody else. But when we talk about tenants that we have, like social security, like VA... What do we love about them is they have to have build-out that they can't get anywhere else, and that really locks them into the location. Yeah. Or they're an agency that specifically services an area. So if we talk about our state of North Carolina building that you referenced, that's essentially an insurance board, but they need to be in that specific area. They need to be in the state capital, which is in Raleigh, and they're already entrenched as the state headquarters. So for them to pick up, they don't have... 10 branches that they could say, oh, we need a little more office space here, we need a little less there. They're entrenched in the state headquarters there, which gives us confidence in their long-term uh, ability to stay there. Yeah. So it's interesting. The, the retail leases or an Applebee's might trade at a lower cap rate than a government-backed lease, yeah. meaning lower cap rate is going to have a lower yield on the investment. Mm -hmm. So the government lease is actually going to earn more than... Uh, retail leases. Currently, that's what we're seeing in the market, but it also could be perceived as less risky if you know the right one you're buying. We're not just going out and buying any retail lease right. either. And we're not just going out and buying any government 
uh, lease, there's certainly a whole lot of homework that goes into that. So let's talk about the different types of the leases that are out there because most of our pure retail plays are net leases. Whereas the, the government and all the different agencies and the types of assets they have, they have a wide spectrum of lease types that are out there. So we can't just go by any government building. They're not all the same. Right. And we have bought across the spectrum because obviously throughout Greenleaf, we have anything from full service leases on the one side of it where yeah. the tenant has to do absolutely nothing. You know, a light bulb breaks. Yeah. You have full, to Full service meaning us, Greenleaf, as yeah, a property we have manager, to do everything. has to perform all the services Right. Within that asset. So the light bulb breaks and Mark gets a call, or I imagine someone working with Mark, yeah. that says, my light bulb broke, you need to come fix it. And they won't touch anything. And they're within their rights to do that because that's why they're signing yeah. a full service lease. Um, but we have on the other side of the spectrum what we call full triple net leases which is, you know, an Applebee's, a Zaxby's. I'm just referring to the ones we yeah. buy a lot. Well, yeah, those are all like those, we're doing nothing. If they call us to say anything's wrong, the answer would be, like, what are you calling us for? Because we literally have zero landlord responsibilities. And when we say zero, we mean zero. I mean, a car could crash into the side of it, and they have to figure out how to fix it, or they have to claim that it's condemned, and then they have to have a big payout because we're insured under their insurance per the terms of the lease. So we have zero liability they come to us, they say something's wrong, and the answer is, well, you fix it or pay us <laughs> yeah. out of the lease. Yeah. I mean, that's really and how they work. If we look at the middle area of that as the modified gross, which is, uh, which is just kind of a toss-up of anything could go in, <laughs> anything could come out of how you're managing them. But when we're trying to find the government ones, if we, you know, the government has those across the board, whereas for the most part, uh, Zaxby's, that we're going after has one type of lease that they're uniformly doing with all their, with all their, you know, operations. Whereas the government has a whole spectrum. Oh yeah. And you learn the nuances of how different branches of the government operate um, versus how state governments operate. So as an example, state governments are much more likely to have reimbursements in them. Um, they're much more likely to have rent bumps in them. Whereas the federal government, the GSA is so massive that they can basically just put out proposals and have a bunch of people running for their space. Um, and they can really keep their rental rates low and try and hammer you on being full service, uh, depending on the branch. Because some branches, like the Secret Service is an example, they don't want people going in there. So the last thing they want is a toilet to break, and they have to let one of their operators in to see what's going on in there. I recently toured a place that they had uh, maps of a foreign country that they were planning security options for. <laughs> and we're like, they don't want to call us in here. The last thing they want is that we ever come in here. They want to send us the check and that's yeah. it. So we do try and focus in our government searches on leases that are easier to operate, have less responsibility, and ultimately are going to make it easier for us to provide returns because if you know you have a full service lease, your costs, it's very hard to quantify in many cases what they could end oh, up yeah. being. You're responsible for anything that comes up. So it could, your costs are totally open. Right. Technically, your risk is unlimited. Obviously, we have experience and we know yeah. how to account for that. Um, but our state of North Carolina building in Raleigh, the insurance board, is a perfect example. It's actually really rare. They're not only on a double net lease 
which is about as good as it's going to get for government. You're not really going to find triple net leases. But, I mean, they have to take care of almost everything that would happen in yeah. the building. So, so double net means we've got one or two items that we're not responsible for. Right. So this is... Or that we are responsible for. It's a state building that has a Dollar General lease, which is the standard Dollar General lease is roof and structure, which means you don't have ongoing responsibilities. You are taking on liability that if the roof is not in good condition, you're going to have to pay to fix it. But that's something that we can verify. We do a roof inspection on everything. And it's really easy to operate for us because most of what's going to happen, they're going to fix themselves. And being right. that it's a state lease, they have rental escalations in there, and they're responsible for the ongoing costs as uh, the cost of operations rise. So those are the type of buildings that we really like to focus on, and we've had a lot of success with state credit, it's a lot more flexible in how they write their leases, um, who makes it easier on us to operate. And we're, you know, we've seen some good state buildings and we're definitely looking for yeah. more. So, I mean, we think about this net lease component as a whole. We've got one giant component of an asset class and we're breaking it down into, into government and then we're kind of going further into the state part and then we're going further into like, we only want leases with these certain provisions. Right which leads us to a very small subset of something that we can buy. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of these you know what? that we're out it's there. A, it's definitely a smaller asset class. There's no question about it. It's very low volume. Probably over the course of the year, you know, we do our presentations every week, and I've probably presented 15 properties over the course of the year, whereas on retail, you know, Andrew and I are routinely looking oh, yeah. at three to four a week. Um, and that's obviously from all the ones we whittled down that are even worth presenting. But right, it's very right. low volume. They're not actively marketed. I tell everyone there's three major government brokers in the country, and they're each bringing out maximum 10 properties nationwide every year. So this whole asset class is really about digging up mm -hmm. properties that, again, aren't going to be actively marketed because there's no clear barometer for what they're worth. Therefore, sellers don't really want to market them because yeah. they have no estimation of what they're going into. And that's where our opportunity comes in when we're able to dig these up. There's no competition on them. And we can really say a price and almost set the market for them because there's nothing they can pull up and say, you know, what does the average government building sell for? Whereas on a Zaxby's, there's data on it. On an Applebee's, there's data on it. On a Dollar General, there's data right. on it. Yeah, I mean, even Dollar Generals, you know, there were in the footprint that we cover, there were like 50 that transacted in the past year. Yeah. In just our small footprint, across the country, like, you know, look at it as a whole uh, with their sheer volume. Like there's a whole lot of market comps out there. On about 18,000 like now. Yeah. And yeah, as you're saying, yeah, 18,000 total dollar generals right, total dollar of the generals. amount that transact. You still have a huge number. I think over the seven states to. last year, we expand, you know, we've been expanding our geography yeah. and we do a study at the end of every year. We're very data driven and I think we found 120 that transacted total in the states we operated in, and that's not even in our cap rate range. When you whittle it down to our cap rate range, you're probably at 30 or 40, and then when you knock everything else out, which would be our normal disqualifiers, like we need to have growth in the area and we need to have a certain population, we basically are able to buy what we set out to buy if it will come to our range. So we've done a really good job at covering the market. Um, it's just limited because we prefer to buy the cream yeah. of the crop and provide the top properties to our investors. 
We yeah. could buy more, but, but what but do we that, want to buy same, garbage That for? same philosophy translates to the government side, where if there's yeah. only a few that are coming up each year, we still have to look at those few, and we're picking which leases match us the best, but, and then also in our geography, and then also uh, specific locations that we like within that uh, to execute a deal. Yeah. So, so there's not a lot of them, but when we do find one, that's where we're able to see outsized returns versus uh, comparable uh, other retail assets that are out there. Yeah, and we found, you know, we had in the first quarter, we were able to close on three of these properties, which were, you know, all really strong properties, all fit the geography. Either they were, one was in Atlanta that we know the area really well, very familiar with it. Um, one was in Raleigh, which is such a hot market. And it's yeah. on that double net lease, which is really unique for the government. And the other one was in Columbia, and it's in a really tight market. There's not a lot of comparable space available, and it's a very uh, mission-critical tenant. So anything that we present is going to be that cream-of-the-crop-style investment. Um, you know, again, we've been out there just hammering and bringing up the properties and seeing what works. It, those are all three different, you know, those are a mix of federal and state and different agencies within that. So all three yeah. of those assets had different, you know, it's not like we can say we're only going to buy uh, Secret Service. There was buildings. a theory. We should, like there's not a whole lot of them. There was a theory we should just buy all the VA clinics in our geography. We do own a good, I mean, for what we, came up that's available, oh, we, yeah. we purchased we, a good amount of them. We've done a so. good job of them and we're building competency with those brands, which is outstanding because we can even get to know the specific people who handle those parts right. of the government those types of renewals uh, or regional directors, and then we can leverage it when we have new properties come up and say, okay, we already understand how they operate. We understand what they're looking for. We get to know yeah. what they want in terms of renewals. And that, of course, always yeah, helps. We're going through that with the VA clinics up in Raleigh. So we've got three up in Raleigh and one of them down here. And the VA clinics as a whole are going through a big technology upfit right, right. now that's, that's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars millions per location that they're working on. But it's the same when we're the stuff up in Raleigh is the same asset management team right. that's overseeing all of our locations. So we help stagger you know, what work uh, they want to do. This is work that they are doing and they're implementing at a site, but it's still we have one point of contact that we can that we can work with there. And that also ties into how we handle the leases on those right. on those sites and work through renewals when they do come up. Right. And more and more we're really leaning on um, building those relationships that we can handle leases. We uh, sent one of our operators six locations that they operate. This is on the retail side, it's not yeah. on government. And just said, which one of these do you want to extend? We'll buy them. And that's always been our goal is <laughs> rather than just betting on renewals to get to that other side. Like yeah, the Taco, like the Taco John's deal we did, like the Zaxby's deal we did. We just did um, an IHOP in Spring, Texas that the whole deal was based on our operator relationship. And that's really the direction we've been moving in. And you can't really do it with the government to the same extent because ultimately they're dollars and cents. They can't build yeah. relationships. They're just cogs in the system. But having that knowledge of the brands, so to speak, of the different yeah. parts of the government serves a similar function to whereas you gain a competitive advantage over someone that hasn't done it before and just says, oh, this is a government lease, cool, they're going to pay me, and doesn't understand the nuances of how they're going to proceed. And they all, all, all the leases, too, they have different payment terms within them. Oh, we yeah. Have some of our, you know, our, it's not that they're just paying at the beginning of the month all the time. They've got <laughs> different time frames and, and 
ways that they're making payments uh, within the whole system. So it's not something you can just walk right into. No. But uh, there's definitely advantages of the space and the returns that we can see in them. So. And the government leases are really all over, partly because every time an administration shifts, whether it's on a state level, whether it's on a federal level, all of a sudden someone comes in and says, hey, here's how we want to do things. And then two years later, something shifts, control of Congress shifts, and all of a sudden there's a different mandate. Sometimes, yeah. as an example, in the government space, it's gone from, hey, listen, we don't want to do any work. We want a lot of TI money. We want the, the owner to do it to where now it's gone to, we just want the cheapest lease we can get. And we don't want to take TI dollars. We simply want to be able to show on a piece of paper we paid less rent. Which, and, I mean, you, I think you got to like, too, if the government's out there trying to say we want the most efficient space right. at the best rate. Well, it doesn't always end up efficient yeah. for them. That's what sometimes you try and explain to them. But they're just there. The, the workers are there just to justify their existence, essentially and show that they did a good job. So they're not really looking at globally what's actually good. They're just looking at what am I going to look, on a, look like at my next performance review, which can sometimes make it challenging, but understanding that in of itself helps us yeah. with what we're I targeting. Think there was stuff too, when we would go back to 2020 and COVID, there was you know, the lease renewals that the government was doing. I'm not sure if this was like government across the whole uh, or state specific or how it was working, but there was a apprehension to sign any long-term leases during that time frame. They were like, look, let's just do a one-year extension, see where things go, which makes, but that makes logical sense if you're running a business. Like, hey, we don't have to commit to something for 10 years. Let's do something for one year right. and see how it goes. But the relationship with that asset manager, even though they're not an owner of a business within the government, so asset manager making a decision for multiple assets right. on what are we doing in the short term and how do we get to a long-term position? We saw that with... Um, one of our VA clinics that had a, has had a shorter-term lease that they keep renewing, and now they've, you know, they've done a slight extension, a two-year, but not, right. they're not doing a, they did not do a 10-year on it. But we've been in contact uh, you know, with that and managed that deal effectively, so we have a pretty good relationship with them on, on what they're trying to do there. So. Yeah, and most government contracts will have a rollover clause because they don't want to leave. And they also know that anything they're going to sign has to go through so many levels of approval that it's unlikely they're going to actually get themselves together in time by the lease expiration. So a lot of them do have clauses that they can roll it over. But generally, there's something built in to um, protect the owner. So yeah. either there's a penalty involved if they, you know, stretch you out and then they don't get their act together, or there's some sort of you know, option built in. I mean, so th there are things built in and we're very careful what we look at in terms of yep. what we acquire there. Yeah, so this year, so we bought three of these this year, right? It's like, yeah. if we can pick up two or three a year, it'd be pretty exciting. I mean, finding a very nuanced little, little part of the mm -hmm. market where we can find value and, and deploy capital into. So, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for sharing your insight here. Yeah. It's good having you down here. Pleasure. I uh, hope this was helpful, kind of give you guys some guidance on what we are looking at in the government space and kind of, uh, you know, how we're assessing what's out there and, and where we can find opportunities for yield in the marketplace right now. So, thanks. Yeah, we're excited for more, Dave. I know. I, I think they're pretty <laughs> cool. It's, you know, there aren't that many of them, so it's not like you can go buy 20 of these things. It's maybe right. we get a handful each year, and if, you know, we can get them, 
Yeah, we pick Excellent. up three, we pick up three or four nice ones, and the nice thing is, really on exit because they don't exist, and there are, you know, three, four, five huge institutional groups that only yeah. want government. Is that if you can aggregate a large portfolio, just the size of the portfolio is what they yeah it makes it a lot more find. attractive. And then on exit, if you can present a large group of buildings together, which in government, if you have 10 of them, is quite sizable, um, they're going to come pay you a lot of money simply because you have what to sell them that doesn't really exist in the market. So yeah. we're excited to keep adding to it. Cool. All right. Well, let's see how uh, what do we got like three weeks until next year. <laughs> we'll see how 2023 goes. We're excited to see what opportunities we can Dave, dig up. we can move as fast as you want. It's, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to close stuff between now and the end of the year? <laughs> uh, uh, nothing I know of. But listen, yeah. if you give the word, we'll get it done. Yeah. But now we, we do have some good, uh, some good opportunities here. Some so couple good ones it. in the pipeline. We, yeah. uh, we're seeing a nice uh, era of what they call price discovery because <laughs> the market has shifted so much and no one knows exactly to where it shifted. And they're purposely paralyzing the market with all the rate hikes. But now that things seem to be slowing down slightly, I'm not a swami, so we just follow what's going on. We don't yeah. try and predict. It'd be too hard to guess. Now, people have had enough time as sellers to understand the new environment. And what it's doing is creating pricing opportunities now that people have probably, you know, the sellers held on for so long to where now they're almost overcompensating because they were waiting and waiting and waiting. But in the meantime, they have pressure to sell on them, whether it's they have to refinance yeah. debt or whether it's a personal situation. So now we're almost seeing like everyone's gotten on the sidelines and the properties that are there that do make sense it's probably shifted more in our direction than it should have. So hoping some of these opportunities come together. Yeah, very cool. All right. Okay, thanks Dave.